Hey, good evening, everyone. John Henry Soto here. Welcome to Counterparts. As always, I'm here with George Batista. This is the uh, show where we spotlight conversations on creative minds and inspirational minds. And today we have Bobby Wiggins on the show, who is one of the most inspiring people that I've ever met. And you're going to be blown away by some of the work that's happening here and all over the world because of Bobby and his team. So please hang out, stay tuned, and listen to a little bit of our uh, jam music, if I can find it here, because sometimes it goes away. All right. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for being on. I apologize for not being able to find the, the thing. You know, a, a two-man show here. It's me and George, and we're not even in the same state. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I we help. still make it go right. <laughs> but as I said, uh, Bobby Wiggins is on the show, and we're very excited to talk to Bobby. I don't want to take too much time because you know how sometimes I go off. But we want to just talk to our, uh, give some love to our sponsor, George. We're going to turn it over to you, and then we'll get ready with our a great conversation. Thank you, sir. So. As always, the Counterpart Show is brought to you by Wellness Resources, a family-owned and operated nutritional supplement company providing the highest quality, clinically formulated supplements since 1985. Find out why Wellness Resources supplements are the top choice of health-conscious individuals around the world. Go to myvitaminresource.com, and if you enter the promo code COUNTERPARTS, you will get free shipping on all orders. All right. So let's talk a little bit about our guests. And I'm excited today because it's going to be an amazing conversation and we're going to really uh, learn some really good stuff here. So for 40 years, Bobby Wiggins has worked with the Narconon program, helping thousands of people recover from drug and alcohol addictions. Recovering from his own addictions using the, the program, Bobby has accomplished a lifetime's worth of work helping others, including reaching over 900,000 schoolchildren with live drug education presentations on five continents. Audiovisually, he has also reached over 13 million schoolchildren in over 11,000 schools throughout America. He was invited to speak at Britain's House of Lords to educate members of Parliament on substance abuse and as trained agents for the Drug Enforcement Agency of the Philippines to deliver the drug education curriculum to students throughout schools in Manila. Currently, Bobby is working with the youth detention centers and, the, and other youth groups in various areas in Florida to change the perception of drugs in our youth. And I am very happy to have him on this program. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Bobby Wiggins. Woo! All right. Hey Hello. guys. So uh, thanks for attending the show. Uh, I'll try to uh, make it as interesting as possible. And I will definitely laugh at John's jokes. For sure. <laughs> You might be the only one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An audience of one is all I need. That's uh, that's what my mama always told me. Um, <laughs> but we're very, very excited to have you on the show. Some of your statistics are just unbelievable. The 900,000, 900,000 school children. Um, also, audiovisually, um, over 13 million school children in over 11,000 schools throughout America. I mean, <laughs> I mean, these are stats that are just incredible. Um, so we're so honored to have you on here. Thank you. We appreciate your time. Um, George usually does the official question because he's really good at like being more, I like to kind of free flow a little bit with what's going on. So I'm going to turn it over to George so he can start with our first question to you. And then from there, we're just going to fly. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for, for, for coming on and the amazing work, you know, as I've, do, uh, you know, I dived into all your work and, and what you've done is just absolutely incredible. So I want to find out about you first. I want to find out, um, you know, about your history, about what you went through, and then how how this program helped you in your life. Well, uh, shockingly, uh, <clears throat> I started taking drugs at 11 years old, believe it or not. I had an older brother, uh, 14 years old, who was smoking marijuana, smoking weed. And uh, at the time, I was experimenting with alcohol with a friend of mine. Uh, that later on 
led to alcohol and marijuana. Uh, somehow I made it to college. Don't ask me how that happened, uh, <laughs> but I made it there. And then the real drug use started. Uh, amphetamines, barbiturates, you know, amphetamines to stay up and take tests. Uh, I was, uh, I majored in uh, engineering, uh, which uh, unfortunately I never finished due to the incredible amount of drug usage. I, uh, I would take amphetamines uh, for, you know, days and days to pass my finals uh, because I goofed off and didn't study anything prior to that. So I needed to stay awake all night. Uh, that led to a, a minor addiction uh, and alcohol was the thread throughout it. Mm. Uh, I actually left college. When I left college after my third year, I was like, oh my God, I got to do something. I got to get out of here. And basically went on a trip around the country and stayed away from all the people that were selling the drugs, all the people that I used drugs with. And I did manage to stay uh, straight for almost a year. Mm -hmm. But when I came uh, back home, uh, I made a life decision that wasn't the smartest in the world, considering my history. Uh, I bought a building uh, up in a uh, tourist area in upstate New York in the Finger Lakes uh, region. Uh, We gutted the building and then uh, I proceeded to... uh, build a five-story nightclub, uh, which was wonderful, building the nightclub. Mm-hmm. Uh, running the nightclub was another story. Right. Right. Uh, it turned out that uh, some of my customers were very uh, big uh, cocaine dealers, as mm-hmm. well as other things. Um, and basically, what they did, it's kind of interesting because this this little synopsis that I'm about to give you is basically how it's done across the country. Hmm. Um, I'll ask kids in, in high school, you know, seniors in high school, I'll go, you know, how many of you have seen someone drink alcohol, get a little wasted and then do something that they normally would not ever do. Hmm. And you'd be amazed uh, in those high school classes. <laughs> Almost right. every hand is in the air. Right. It's something that we've all seen. You know, it's something that we've all experienced a friend or relative using alcohol. And then all of a sudden they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, the drug dealers know that. And that's one of the things I explain to the kids. They absolutely know that it's the perfect place to get new customers. Mm-hmm. And I had one customer that would come in, his name was David, and he'd come in about seven o'clock at night and he'd put a hundred dollar bill on the bar, which in 1975 was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd say, give the bar a drink. And then about 20 minutes later, another hundred would come on the bar and give the bar a drink. Wow. It wasn't until many years later that when my head was clear, I realized exactly what this guy was doing because he knew that if he got everyone loaded in that bar, he was going to get a lot more people started on cocaine. And if they started on cocaine, they'd need more. And he had customers. Wow. And that's the way it works. You know, most of the drugs are dealt in a club, in a setting where the person's already drinking alcohol His resistance is weakened. Uh, He doesn't have the inhibitions and his buddy snorts some Coke and he goes, Harry, you know, try it. It's not a big deal. And bang, away we go. So I had four of those guys in my club. (laughs) And uh, I'll tell you, when I entered the Narconon program, uh, Narconon is a drug-free program, by the way. It's based on exercise, vitamins, nutrients, stuff like that. Uh, when I entered the Narconon program, uh, literally, when you're when you're in the bar business, one of the first things you have to do is clean up the back bar. And the very first action you take is cleaning up what's called the speed rail. Now, the speed rail is the cheap drinks. It's the cheap vodka. It's the cheap gin. You make rum and Cokes, whatever, right? 
And all you have to do is grab the bottles and set them up on the bar, mm -hmm. right? And then you clean out the speed rail, disinfect it. Well, I was such a mess at that point that when I would grab those bottles, I couldn't stop them from shaking. They were like clanking together the whole way up. Because wow. I, couldn't, I couldn't get my hands, you know, to stop shaking. And about 10 seconds later, I'd reach back and I'd grab a Heineken. I'd pop that. Then I'd take a glass and I would fill the glass halfway full of tequila. I would, and I'd use two hands to do it. I'd chug the tequila and then chase it down with the beer and then I would wait, I'd lean against the beer cooler and I would wait for my hands to stop shaking. Wow. Then I'd be able to work. Well, at noon, the first Coke dealer came in and he always had something for me because see, I owned the nightclub. So they knew if they kept me in cocaine, they had free range in my club. I didn't realize it at that time. But later on, when I was doing the Narconon program, I was like, oh, my God, that's what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I entered the Narconon program in December of 1977. And uh, through a lot of, you know, hard work, uh, vitamins, minerals, exercise, we do something called uh, at Narconon, we call it a sauna detox, where you do a program that actually flushes all the old drugs out of your body because most drugs are fat soluble. They will right. lodge in the fatty tissue of the body. Right. And uh, there's a whole story behind that, but I, I don't want, I don't want George's question to take like 40 <laughs> minutes. <here. laughs> okay. So uh, I, just, I had a, a quick one. Um, it wasn't so much a question, but as a, as a, as a statement just on how, it stopped you from shaking. It just is such a clear example of addiction. You know, it's something that people say, you know, I've heard people say, cause I grew up in the South Bronx and I grew up surrounded by a lot of drug use and a lot of, uh, uh, of that mess in the eighties where we had the crack epidemic that basically just decimated our, my community from families to friends that I had and everything, but they called it medicine. Yeah. They, they would say, I need to get my medicine because it stopped them from doing something that they thought was not right. right. Not realizing that it's that that's causing that. And it's what a trap. I mean, it's amazing that uh, you were able to find that program. It really is an incredible trap. It, it's unbelievable. Um, and just a quick part of the definition of well, drugs are essentially poisons. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. a small amount will right. stimulate, wakes right. the person up. Right. Take more of that same drug and it begins to uh, depress. It will slow the person down, you know, right. enough of the drug fast enough kills them dead. But part of that definition is also that uh, drugs relieve a person of an unwanted condition. Mm. That could be as simple as boredom, right? right. right. They don't want to be bored. <laughs> they take the drug and it sort of lifts them out of that boredom or stress or whatever it is, whatever the unwanted condition is that they're trying to relieve. The problem is that uh, there's a tremendous nutritional burnup as well as other mental phenomena. And when he comes down off the drug, he comes down in a slightly worse state, right. but it's not enough for him to see it. He's, he's blind to it, say. Right. Right. So he goes, well, that relieved my condition. Boom, here we go. And that's perfect, John, just the way you said it, that that is the trap. It's yeah. like little by little it worsens and you need more of the drug. I mean, it's really that simple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had friends that unfortunately, you know, they uh, passed on from it. Kids that I grew up with that were totally, you know, we just played ball in the, in the street. We were just hanging out, riding our bikes, skateboards. And somewhere along the line, something shifted. And, and I was always not aware, aware, but I've, I've always felt like I was clean headed enough where I kind of saw it happening, you know, while it was happening. And I've never done anything. I've never even smoked a cigarette. I just, my grandparents were always on top of me. They raised me and, and um, I just never really went that route, drink a little bit here and there wine. But one of the tragic things was that these guys were so young. You know, I'm talking about, like you said, 11, 12. I mean, I remember seeing a drunk, 
I mean, you know what it is when you see a two or three drunk 14 year olds, mm -hmm. it's, it's mm -hmm. tragic. My daughter is 11. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I get like horrified just thinking about that. Yeah. It's interesting how young and, uh, you know, it's not an accident. Uh, one of the uh, parts of the series that I did that we we actually did a science study on, on Narcanon drug education. We were approved by the U.S. government. Uh, they have to review it uh, and it's reviewed evidence based and out, outcome based program. But what I saw, you know, having done that is that. Uh, a lot of programs just leap right in and say, hey, if you take drugs, you'll die. Mm -hmm. Well, I lost five friends who did die from substance abuse. But that is so unreal in the big picture. It's basically, you have to educate the kids on, okay, why you don't take drugs. Not like, okay, I'm going to take them and I'm going to die, right? Right. You have to educate them on, okay, what it actually does to you physically, mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually, what happens. And it's funny, if you do it correctly, you lay it out, then this happens, this happens, this happens. The kids that I'm talking to, they've seen it. They've seen the exact thing, the exact pattern that I'm going through. And so it's like, boom. That's what gives it the credibility. Right. And if it's got credibility with the kid, bam, then it'll have an impact. Right. Cause it felt like that whole just say no campaign thing was just so, you know, um, I don't know. It just didn't have any substance behind it. It didn't have any, what you just talked about the sequence of how it actually happens. Just say no is like, okay. <laughs> you know, kids are yeah. hearing their parents say no to everything a million times, you know, growing up. Um, so anyway, sorry, George, I'll, I'll give you a chance. No, that's okay. So one of the things, and you know, you, you've talked about, I've seen some of your videos and you've even talked about it here on, you know, why someone would take drugs. Why, you know, what are the, some of the reasons why people would do it? Okay. And specifically I've, I've, you know, I'm a big proponent of personal responsibility and, you know, and, and confront, confronting these types of things or whatever issues you have. There is this notion out there for a long time, obviously, that there's that people who are, you know, who are addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever, that it just happens that they were, you know, whether they were they were born with an addiction or they, you know, they somehow they have a disimbalance or something, that type of thing. Can you address the, that uh, notion? Sure. And, and I mean, <clears throat> The, the fact of the matter is, you know, having 45 years in Narconon, uh, there's, there's, it knows no bounds. I, I was blown away when we were in Hawaii. So we went into the state of Hawaii to do the uh, science study. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I met a, uh, an older couple who told me the story of their 28 year old son who uh, had never taken drugs uh, in high school had smoked very mild, you know, little bit of marijuana through college, mm -hmm. got a good job would maybe occasionally once every three months or so his friends were smoking marijuana at a party to have some. And his friend at work, he had two kids, a wife, 20, 27 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And his friend uh, introduced him to some methamphetamine says, mm -hmm. Hey, it keeps me up, keeps me active. Oh, well, you can get addicted to that. And he goes, nah, you know, I use it when I need it. And, uh, you can't get addicted. Well, the long of the short of the story blew my mind mm -hmm. when this cu couple told me this said, my son is now, uh, spending, uh, five years in federal prison. Uh, he got so heavily addicted to it that he lost his job and then he wow. started stealing things and he mm -hmm. got caught. And the next thing you know, he's in federal prison. His wife and two kids are, mm -hmm. you know, are left alone. Right. And right. there's a guy and I just looked at them. I said, you just explained to me that this can happen to anyone. That's right. exactly. You just right. have to be right. in the right circumstance, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. right place at the wrong time or whatever. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And that's what I found at Narconon blows my mind. I had to get a guy off drugs who was a Mormon bishop, oh a Mormon God. bishop. Wow. And he got addicted to painkillers because they're legal. And then Man. all of a sudden uh, he can't get enough. And so he's on the street and he's getting it. This is a Mormon bishop. Guy was the nicest guy in the world. Again, wife, two kids. Uh, it just like it has no bounds, yeah, yeah, you know, right. Yeah, right. Um, the person either like wakes up at a certain point and goes, wow, right. I got to do something fast. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. they don't. Right. And if they don't, I've seen it go both ways. Okay. A and wow. Wow. it's unbelievable. Anyway, I hope that helped to yeah. answer your yeah, question. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that the personal responsibility that George just mentioned you know, you don't, you don't, you get to the point where you're not even seeing that, at, at, you know, you don't even see that you're not taking personal responsibility. That doesn't even occur to you. You're just Correct. trying to, like you said, you're trying to resolve something. There's something right. that's, that's, that you need to handle. And you think that this chemical is going to do that. It may be. And, and this poor guy now in prison, losing his family, he just proves that it is, he took responsibility at some point. He went mm -hmm. to school, he got married, he had kids, he had a job. So he was taking responsibility and just boom. Yeah. That's it. Amazing. I wanted yeah. to, to, to ask you a question about the, the recent, in recent years, the uh, legalization of um, marijuana and all the stuff that's going on in that area. Um, it seems um, that <laughs> it seems like the whole country is going that route. Uh, unfortunately. Um, what, what are your views on that? Well, the fur in the first place, it's kind of interesting. My son works in Los Angeles, works in an industrial area, mm -hmm. and they decided to do a little campaign uh, on the, it was a legalization of marijuana it was already legal, but they were going to have these shops down there. And they thought, well, we can at least go out and do a petition. Mm -hmm. They were blown away by the percentage of people who didn't want that in right. their neighborhood. Right. They did not want weed. They did not want these dispensaries. It's just, to me, they get very clever on getting that stuff passed in areas. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, they either do it at 11 o'clock at night and they, they make sure they got their guys there. And it's like, it, it really is incredible. I mean, Denver, which was one of the first, they have mm -hmm. a massive campaign going in Denver by the citizens going, this has to stop. This is yeah. crazy. And then they run the same lines across the country that are just absolute lies on the yes. whole thing. The crime right. rate goes up. Right. Uh, kids do die because the THC content in marijuana, when, the last time I smoked marijuana was 1977. The THC content was about 3%. That was strong marijuana. Today it's running 15 to 48 percent. Well, 48 oh percent is 16 times more potent for the same thing. So the right. kid smokes wow. one joint or one marijuana cigarette and bang, the amount of THC. When I was in London, I'll just tell you this. When I was in London, they had already opened up what were called cannabis psychosis centers. You can look it up. Oh my gosh. And there were several of these cannabis psychosis centers around London. And the reason for that is that with that THC content, they had something called skunk weed in, mm -hmm. uh, in England. Mm -hmm. And the THC content was out the roof. And I'm telling you, these guys would come in. We were getting heroin addicts off drugs. Right. And we're like, what's wrong with that guy? And the heroin addict, who's now been straight for three weeks, turns around to us, goes, oh, it's skunk weed. They go crazy. And so we're sitting here with us like, and then they deny it and say, oh, it's not true. And blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you, if you look it up, literally, they had cannabis psychosis centers where the guys had to go in and get handled. So my God. By right. legalizing it, we're sending the message to millions of kids that, hey, it's okay to do. It's, it's legal. It's not a big deal. Right. Anyway, that's my 
That's yeah. Really a viewpoint and many others, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is why this education is so important for people right. to, uh, to get, because, um, that's when you have to really educate these kids on what it actually is. And the fact that they're being lied to, I mean, it's such a suppressive thing that's happening. You know, you get these, uh, organizations and you're right. It is sneaky because I remember one opening up when I was in Jersey, I don't remember it even, I'm, I was in real estate in New Jersey. So I knew a lot of the properties that were being rented or whatever. I had a, a listing of those. And one place that I didn't know where it came from, but boom, there they were They're they're you know, they're, they're, they, they kind of hide in the, uh, the vaping, uh, the mm -hmm. whole vaping thing, yeah. which is also a, sure. a horrible thing to do. Um, but it's, it's an amazing suppressive, thing that you know george for instance um he was addicted to flintstone vitamins for years and we had to <laughs> it was a severe no, i'm sorry that was a rough one that yeah, was a rough it's one. Tough. he went to the bedrock <laughs> clinic and he, uh, if fred was the one that was really potent that's exactly. the one that got that's you it. that's and the one that got, got him me. yeah yeah and our, our thanks to the bedrock clinic for getting him yeah. to, getting him to help you need it no but i'm, I'm <laughs> but seriously uh, you know what what are your thoughts about and i don't want to get into conspiracy stuff because you know george and i are <laughs> sometimes we get into stuff um because we know the facts we know the truth we actually go in and we research we don't watch the news we actually see the the feet on the ground you know we actually know what's going on um so we kind of go there but what are your thoughts on the suppression behind it you know what is the overall purpose of putting these things because economically yes some people will make money but the town will not Denver is clearly showing that Denver is struggling because the yeah. people that are making money are not the workers are not, it's not the, it's not the, uh, the infrastructure is not being rebuilt. It's not the economics of the city. It's something, someone else is making money. So, and it's right. continually, um, that's what they actually promote as the reason why they bring it in. It's because of tax dollars or money for the city or whatever. Yeah. Well, well, one more, if I may, one more real quick story. Mm -hmm. And this is a story, uh, you know, I give them the facts. I make it real to them, but right. intermixed, they'll ask me questions. And this story kind of tells it all. Um, so I have five drug dealers in, 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 my, in my nightclub, and I'm already using cocaine. Well, around the corner from that nightclub was uh, one of the top lacrosse schools in the country. Mm. And uh, the lacrosse players used to come in, have beers, whatever. And some of those lacrosse players, you know, uh, I'm like watching David put his hundreds on the bar and, you know, give him a drink, give him a drink. Some of those lacrosse players uh, got into that cocaine trap. And one of those players actually died, had oh, a weak heart and gone. So I look out at the kids in the class and I go, well, wait a minute here. I knew what David was doing. Why didn't I say anything? Hmm. And that's, and they usually get it. Well, you were making money. I go, that's right. My business, I, I, I had a wife and two kids at the time, da, 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 the whole nine yards. But the point, the point is zero personal integrity, which I found out about later on. Mm -hmm. But the problem in the U S Georgia, when you talked about, you know, personal responsibility and stuff like that, uh, it just had gotten so low in this mm -hmm. country that that's how they get away with it. Right. And it's all about the money, yes. right? Whether it trickles down to me, right? Back in the day, or they're making it. I mean, it's such massive business. I mean, it, it's either second or third on the planet. I think human trap trapping is number one, drugs are number two, mm -hmm. right? In terms of money. And so they've got that money behind them and, you know, it gets pushed and it gets pushed and it gets pushed and where it's being pushed predominantly is on our youth. Yeah. And I'm talking like very clever advertising, very clever. 
I did a, I did a study, off-the-cuff study once, of uh, uh, movies. Uh-oh. George, can you bear with me? I'm going to get off in another story here. Go for it. No, go. <laughs> movies. What are the impact of movies in America? Well, let me tell you the impact. I had a business. Um, I was working for Narcan and I was doing my whole gig during the week, reaching thousands of kids. And then on the weekends, I had a sunglass business where I'd set up these booths in key places and we'd sell sunglasses. And there was a lady down in Florida. Her name was Jan. And I couldn't figure it out. Every year I talked to her on the phone and she go, now, Bobby, you got to order this style and you have to order this shape. One year she says to me, Bobby, you can't order enough oval sunglasses. I started laughing. I go, Jan, I go, I couldn't give away an oval sunglass last year. I, there, I got boxes in my basement. How can you possibly know this? Her voice got really low and it was almost like she was looking around to see if anybody was going to tape record her. She said, listen, the reason I know is because whatever they put in the movies, it's going to be massive the next spring. So what I want you to do, Bobby, is go down to Blockbuster. Remember when Blockbuster Blockbuster, get their top 10 list over the winter and you'll know, you'll know what to buy. So I went down just as an experiment and I got the top 10. Number two that year was a movie called Demolition Man. Mm-hmm. And it had uh, Sylvester Stallone and it yeah. had Sharon Stone at the peak of her popularity. Right. And they're in this movie. In the very first scene, we have Sharon Stone with a sungla- an oval sunglass looking over the top of that oval sunglass with those baby blues. Uh, this sunglass that I couldn't give away mm-hmm. the year before. And she's talking in that scene with that sunglass on. And then Sylvester Stallone appears. And guess what shape sunglasses he was wearing? Oh, my God. <laughs> really? Okay. The only guy that didn't have a pair of oval sunglasses was the bad guy. <laughs> ah, there you go. The only one. I, I'm going to tell you that true story. I sold every oval sunglass I had within two weeks. And I kept calling Jan going, Jan, I need more, I need more. She goes, I told you, I told you, right? So I started doing a study on the movies. Mm -hmm. And I realized, well, I'll give you a quick history and then I'll jump off this. (laughs) In 1981, M&M's was the number one candy. And then there was a little tiny company that was beginning to make waves. And uh, that was Hershey's Reese's Pieces. Mm -hmm. Okay. Literally, when this happened, it was predominantly just in Pennsylvania and parts of New Jersey, Reese's Pieces was big. So this guy's making a movie. He calls up M&M's. He says, listen, I got a great place for you. You put your M&M's in this movie. You guys want to do it? M&M's like, now we're too big. I, I know the movie. Okay. <laughs> so they pick up the phone. They call Reese's Pieces because they're very similar to M&M's. So listen, we got a great place for you to put your... your... <laughs> Reese's Pieces like, yeah, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Reese's Pieces place their product in this movie. Within seven months, Reese's Pieces caught M&M's in sales and passed them. Wow. wow. You ever see the movie E.T.? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not only, uh, yeah, not only a film, but actually one of the biggest films of all time. Right, of all right. time. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, the movie industry learned from that. There's another one that happened real recently. I'll just give it to you real fast. 
on the year 2000, you could not find a Mini Cooper in the United States of America. Hmm. I was over in England and I was like, Mini Coopers everywhere. They, they just don't sell them here. There's, they're, hmm. not, they're not a thing. Hmm. In 2004, Mini Coopers sales went completely through the roof. Have you guys ever seen a movie called The Italian Job? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just for, just. <laughs> wow. Right. Just, just for the research, go back and watch that movie. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's phenomenal. It's like, it is an all flat out commercial for Mini Coopers. How they handle, how they corner, they do the bank job, they do the the big job in the subway with it. It's like, it's amazing. Wow. Sales boom out the roof. So the thought occurred to me, if it works for all these products, why wouldn't it work for drugs? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. No different. Yeah. Right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Right. You know, when you, when you look at films from the forties, everyone had a cigarette. I yes. mean, That's right. everyone yep. had a cigarette. Yep. That's correct. And then you look at, everyone who was smoking everybody was smoking smoking was just uh, a thing you know philip morris didn't even talk about you know there wasn't that there was no sign of cancer it wasn't even anywhere written anywhere well, they said it was actually good for you in some of these commercials yeah. at that time yeah there's the one with the doctor on it just, right exactly I, my doctor recommends camel <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> exactly wow. well just very quick uh in uh 1990, uh, I decided to reach that there's a website you can go on to find out how many times a product was placed in a movie. Oh, and nice. when you talk oh, about nice. the 80s, people think of Cheech and Chong, but yeah, it was right. it was put in a, a, a sort of a negative light there mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. humorous, right? Right, right. I think in the 80s, there were only 14. Uh, uh, and all of the 80s, we're talking mm. a decade. Mm. There was only 14 movies that contained uh, kids smoking marijuana. I think uh, Hot Times, The Ridge, Hot Mod High, I can't remember all of them, right? right. In the year 2005, <laughs> in the year 2005, there was about 100 movies that had teenagers smoking weed in it. Wow. Right, right, right. Wow. And it goes up every single year. So how, how, what happens? The perception is it's normal and yep. everybody does it. Yep. Once they achieve that, boom, there go the sales. Right. Anyway, that was a lot of information. No, I love it. Know. I love it. That, that's yeah. And you know, you don't, you don't realize the power of, I mean, I'm a filmmaker, so I know the power of film because film have influenced me uh, in the positive light, mm -hmm. but there must be committees i'm thinking now when a film is coming out there must be like a team of people to figure out how they can product place right certain things in this film and then they get together and they come on and they call the the ceo of this company and the, that brand and that brand and then exactly. they they all i mean that's it's such a and and hollywood has become unfortunately um a sales pitch for the negative yeah, you know, for, for things that are really suppressive and uh, um, destructive. Absolutely. Um, you, want, you want to hear how crazy that is? Mm -hmm. I was uh, invited to do this. It was one of the top private schools in the country, right? And I spent three days down there. I got a motel room. It was uh, near uh, New Canaan, Connecticut, right? And I go in there. And the school psychologist is my guy and he's following me around and we're, I'm doing all this stuff. And I started talking about, you know, product placement and the effect on the kids. Da, 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 da. By the way, just so you know, if you make the kids aware of it, what happens is they go and they look for it. Mm -hmm. And when they look for it, they know they're being scammed. Like kids don't like that. Right. Just, just as <laughs> right. a side note. Yeah. Right. They're like, what? Right. So I do this thing three days at, at the end of it, I go into the, uh, uh, Dean of students office and he's talking to us and, and, and he says to me, I have a mystery. 
And I said, what's that? He says, well, this is a very, uh, you know, it's an elite school. Uh, it's one of the top in the country. And just between you and I, Mr. Wiggins, uh, we have 12 year old girls doing lap dances on the 13 year old boys. We caught them wow. several times. And I just started laughing. And I said, well, here's your homework guys. Go to Blockbuster <laughs> <laughs> and rent the movie Cruel Intentions. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because the number one teenage actress at that time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right. mm -hmm. I forget her name. Yeah, Sarah Michelle. She Gilbert. does a steaming lap dance. Right. And right. she's portrayed as this high school student. Yeah. Steaming wow. lap dance on her stepbrother in the middle of the movie. I said, you guys watch that. She is, she is the most popular actress with 10, 11, 12 year old girls. Right. You watch that. You will no longer have any mystery of why you're catching these, yeah. these kids. Right. You're right. You're anyway, right. there you go, George, over to yeah. you. You can ask me another question. <laughs> yeah. It can be dangerous. No, no, absolutely. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, um, because I, I've known people even in my own circles who have struggled with addiction and who have been in and out of rehab, you know, have been clean for a while and go back in again. And it, it's just that endless cycle. Now for, for gentlemen like yourself, you went in and you clean and then you just, that was it, right? You, you, after that, you made it your mission to help others. But so I wanted to ask you, what do you feel is, is, I, I guess what's the what do you feel is the difference between a person who goes through that endless cycle and like you know and and goes back in it could be a year two three years later versus a person who just never does it again yeah well i i've gotta acknowledge the narconon program by the way narco is uh greek for drugs non means no because we don't use drugs uh in our rehabilitation methods mm -hmm. um that helped a lot. It's also the decision, you know, mm -hmm. the person that's asked to go and that's it. I had right. it. Right. So that mm -hmm. gave me my jump start. But think about this, right? Okay. I'll give it to you real fast. One of the problems with drugs is most of them are fat soluble. In other words, yeah. when they go through the person's bloodstream, because they're fat soluble and the fats butted against the bloodstream, a lot of those residues go into the fat. Mm -hmm. So the person starts to get a storage of drugs in his body, doesn't even realize it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the wow. brain, the brain tissue is, is fat tissue. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So mm -hmm. you've got the fat all over the body. Let's say the, let's say the person's, I don't know, using the drugs once a week. Well, at the end of a year, he's now done it 52 times mm -hmm. and he has a certain amount of storage of those drugs in his fatty tissue. So let's say, I don't know, let's say the guy's like, he goes, that's it. I've had it ruining my health. It's been, I'm, not, I'm done. And uh, he stays off drugs on his own willpower for like, I don't know, three months. Mm -hmm. uh, he gets up in the morning. I uh, gets in his car, he's driving downtown. He looks over and he sees his buddies over there playing a game of basketball. It was all right, a basketball game. Pulls over, starts playing basketball, dribbling, shooting baskets, working up a sweat, burning up lots of energy. But what else do you burn up in your body when you get exercise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. fatty tissue. Yeah, fatty tissue, yep. Exactly. Wow. When that fat burns up, a small amount will actually trigger just like it went through the wall of the vein. It triggers back into the vein and that guy gets a little tiny taste. I call it the hidden enemy. Mm -hmm. okay. He's got a little tiny taste of it, right? Wow. Get the picture of your favorite food, whether it's a certain type of pizza or it's ice cream, whatever it is. And I set that food down in front of you. You haven't eaten in eight hours. Right. And you take a big bite. 
of that pizza or ice cream, whatever it is. And you get the taste in your mouth. And I, all of a sudden I take the whole thing and I dump it in the trash. Mm-hmm. What are you going to want more than anything in the entire world? Right. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right. That's what this guy. So he gets done with his game. He had a great game. He pulls his car out. And about 15 minutes later, it hit. It, he doesn't even know what's happening to him. Mm-hmm. It's the hidden enemy. He goes, wow. Pulls the car over. Next thing he knows, he's on the phone and he's calling uh, Joe Schmuck, the drug mm-hmm. dealer. He goes out that night and he takes all these drugs. He wakes up the next morning and goes, ah, what an idiot. Right. I was off drugs for three. And now I'm back on him again. He might give himself all kinds of wrong reasons mm-hmm. right. as to why that happened to him. Well, what the Narconon program does is, first of all, get the guy healthy enough to be able to do that sauna detox program because you have to be able to run two to three miles a day. Mm -hmm. They get them to that point and then we'd go out and we'd run and we'd sweat in a sauna and literally, (laughs) if I had any doubts, by the 10th day of that sauna, I could feel the old drugs coming back out. They told us that would happen. Wow. You know, next thing you know, I'm on I'm sitting in a sauna, I'm high on marijuana, or, you know, my nose is running in the back because of mm-hmm. the cocaine, whatever it was. Uh, at any rate, at the end of 31 days, it was kind of like, <clears throat> who turned on the lights? And wow. where have I been for the last month? <laughs> Incredible. Well, my energy level quadrupled. I felt amazing. So I went on to the next step of the program, which handled a lot of the mental effects of drugs. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the last stage of the program would handle the emotional effects. And finally, life skills to give you life to keep you off drugs. Right. So you can imagine that a lot of programs I've, and I've encountered lots of programs in 45 years, right? Five days after in the program, they're sitting down doing counseling mm-hmm. and they're asking them questions about the addiction. It's like, no, 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 no. You got to get that guy healthy beyond belief. You got to handle the physical component. Then you have to handle uh, some of the mental and then you do blah, 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 blah. So there's a sequence. To there's it. a sequence. Okay. Yeah. There's an absolute sequence yeah. and you do it out of order, man, you're going to have a train wreck. Okay. Right. But anyway, right. that's, I feel very fortunate that I found that particular program that helped me with my uh, addiction. And I've, I've never looked back. I do want to talk a little bit about before, cause we're at the uh, 48 minutes <laughs> um, about the, uh, I'm just going to read right here from your bio where it says United States Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration approved the Narconon Drug Education Program as a reviewed and evidence-based program. I mean, that is humongous that the United States uh, government actually has recognized this program. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, how, how that came about and a little bit about the th- that process? Sure. Well, I use the... Uh information gleaned from narconon i know drugs lodge in the fatty tissue of the body drugs are essentially poisons i mean that's a biggie uh i've actually uh uh, done a survey live survey in classrooms to find out how many people actually know that drugs are essentially poisons and the percentages of kids are below 10 percent oh wow wow below 10 percent that didn't have that. So the very first thing we do is we educate them on that point. Then we educate them on drugs, lodging and fetish. And then we educate them on the fact that drugs leave blank spots in the mind. Mm. And then later the emotions, how it affects emotions and how to overcome that. Well, uh, we were accused in the early 2000s of not having any science base to our program. <laughs> it was the wrong thing to say to me. <laughs> so the president of Narconon did all this research, like months and months and months of research. And it was a really impressive pack. 
He goes, I just want to let you know, these are the five pieces of information you do in, in your Narconon talks. And I opened up the page and there were reams of published science on each one. Wow. Blew my mind. I'm wow. like, you're kidding. And it had listed out all the science papers, you know, published medical journal, blah, 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 the whole thing for all five of them. So that was the first stage. And the second stage was to take a team of presenters into the Hawaiian islands. And we hired one of the top research firms in America, uh, independent research firms. And they'd come in and they'd do their thing. And we come in and we do our thing. And the entire uh, program to get all that research, it took us 15 months nonstop, you know, pretty much every day. Uh, in various classrooms around Hawaii and then various classrooms in Oklahoma because that we got our widest ethnic swing with those kids. Mm. And we really went for blood on it. I mean, a valid study is 200 high school kids. Mm -hmm. If you do 450, you're considered like premier. So we did 970 kids on this science study. Wow. <laughs> the, the, research scientist who did the uh, study, Dr. Richard Lennox, on his own dime, flew from the research triangle in North Carolina, flew to Los Angeles and met us in a restaurant. And he looks at me, he says, I suppose you're wondering why I called you guys here today. It was the whole team, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I was kind of curious. And he said, well, the first thing I want to let you know, Bobby, I told uh, Marie, Marie was our internal scientist that worked for Narcona. I told Marie, this will never work. I'm telling you, there's, this program will never work. I reviewed your program. It's not going to work. So he smiles at me, looks at me, he goes, so I was kind of the perfect guy to study it. Mm -hmm. And he says, okay, I have a stack. And he had a stack of papers that he put in the middle of the table. I'll leave this with you guys. It won't mean much, much to you. It's all numbers and crunching. But I'm going to tell you this. And this is why I called you here. Because I'm a scientist. And scientists don't say these things publicly. Because we're scientists. Right. right? But I just want to let you guys know. In 27 years as a research scientist, I have never, ever seen results like this. Wow. You guys studied change of attitude, which everybody does, but you also studied change of behavior. Mm -hmm. In other words, you had to have a 14 year old kid walk into your first presentation like marijuana lives forever. I will smoke till I die. Right. And then they had to be off drugs 30 days later per our research. And then six months later and a year later. And he looks at me, he goes, you had a significant positive change in that category. And not just that, wow. you guys, in layman's terms, you guys crushed it in all 22 categories. So I just had to tell you guys this because I was so blown away. You'll never hear it anyplace else, but thank you for what you're doing. That's amazing. So there you go. There's the story. So we presented Man. it to the government. And we dotted our I's and we crossed our T's and they have a, a body. It's the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration in the United States. And they put it through a review process uh, and later gave us uh, the approval for the program. Wow. That That's huge. <laughs> That's huge. Congratulations on that. Yeah, Holy cow. Definitely, definitely. Thanks. That's amazing. I, I wanted to also talk a little <laughs> bit about this uh, amazing uh the educational uh, curriculum for high school that um, that you have as well, and just the uh, the drug education program. Um, if someone's right now watching this and they're out there and they say, you know, I want to I want to make a difference. I want to get involved. I want to learn. Um, how can they actually? What's their first step that they should take in order to become certified? I don't know if that's a if they get certified or training to actually go out and deliver these programs. My wife's a high school teacher. Um, uh, George's wife uh, is a teacher, right? She's a teacher mm -hmm. retired, but she's a, te a teacher for her whole career. Mm -hmm. um, so it's something that's definitely uh, important to us. 
what would be their first step? Well, the first step is uh, you could request the program. Fortunately, uh, we paralleled everything audiovisually, right? Okay. And so we have an audiovisual kit that has every single presentation that was in the science study. And we have a little workbook uh, that the teacher can actually follow along. Like you do this, you know, A, B, C, D, and can actually, uh, I forget the name they call it. It's, uh, uh, okay. That's what happens when, uh, uh, you take drugs. That's why I tell the kid. That's why you don't, you don't take, uh, I'm going to have, uh, my lovely assistant help me here. So when they go in and they use the kit and the teacher actually uses, they call facilitator. Thank you, Barbie. Facilitator. A facilitator of the program. Okay. And uh, that would be uh, the website you have on the bottom. I believe that's correct. Drugeducationprogram.com. Okay. Uh, Actually, and the government pays for the kit. In other words, if you just submit the codes, they pay for the entire thing. Uh, the uh, Then we have support. Uh, I can do by phone with whatever teacher wants to deliver it. Because uh, most of them have questions. They get to page five and it's like, well, what about blah, blah, blah. And I, I can help them through with that. And my number uh, is 818-468-3461. Uh, it's 818 uh, 818-468- three, four, six, one. And I'll be happy to help anybody through it, you know, because like I said, they do have questions and I don't mind answering them. And I don't take as long as I did on George's question. (laughs) (laughs) No, but we really, uh, we really appreciate this information because this is uh, exactly what George and I were talking about earlier. You know, George is also a wellness, a wellness coach. He's uh, very much into health and fitness. I'm very much into health and fitness and we're you know, we raising our families that way um, to be clean mentally, spiritually, physically. Um, and this is exactly the kind of program that I think uh, we're, George and I will probably dive into more and mm-hmm. we'd love to do some, maybe George, we'll, you and I will talk, maybe we can do a whole presentation on a whole show just based on this program because Definitely. I think it's the kind of thing that it's right up our alley, as they say. <laughs> Great. You know, great. So we want to thank you so much for being on. Uh, Before we go, um, during the last two years, during the last pandemic, obviously there was a lot of um, uh, people going through and struggling, difficult to get out of the house, afraid, all those things that were going on. And what what we do is we usually ask our guests if there's anything that they could give uh, advice or some type of motivation or something to to those that are watching now that are still kind of maybe on the fence on getting out there and living or researching or doing whatever they want to do. Is there anything that you would say to, to those? Yeah, that actually, you know, uh, what my wife and I started doing was we started taking long walks and they were unbelievably therapeutic, wow. you know, noticing yeah. things in the neighborhood we hadn't noticed before. And we would walk for blocks and blocks and blocks. Yeah. And it was awesome. Uh, because it revitalized us mentally. Mm -hmm. It revitalized us uh, uh, physically because, you know, like you said, everyone was tied to the couch. Right. Uh, Right. But that I found is so amazingly therapeutic. Just get out and take a walk. Walk 20 minutes that way, 20 minutes back. Notice some things you haven't noticed before. You'll be amazed. Yeah. And that's one of the things I loved about live, living in New York was uh, I did a lot of walking in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I live in Nashville now where, uh, we, you know, we don't walk as much, but um, we do have some beautiful parks here where we walk in. So thank you so much. I have uh, somebody said, somebody said would love that. Yes, Rachel, nice. definitely walk. Walking is something that uh, is really important. And it also just gets you stimulated from whatever you're stuck in because you're, you're, focusing out there as opposed to being in the house and looking at Netflix. You know, if you're dreaming about that sound in Netflix, dun, dun, you, know, <laughs> right. you know, it's like, all right, time for you to go take a walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Bobby Wiggins, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Uh, we'd love to have you back again uh, anytime. Absolutely. 
uh, we're we're available here, and we'll definitely be taking this episode and chopping up these uh, golden nuggets and putting them out there for people. And just once again, I just want to show real quickly again the site where you can get some information, as well as the uh, Narcanon program. Um, if anybody has any questions, you could always email us as well or message us on any of these platforms. We're on eight different platforms right now. But I want to thank you, Bobby, for being on. We appreciate you. you. Hang on tight, and we'll be right with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Very welcome. Ah, you see? Amazing information. Amazing. The kind of shows yes. that I yes. want to just keep doing. Yes. You know? Absolutely. And thank you so much for everybody that watched. Um, we appreciate you all very much out there. Um, George, thank you very much as always. We'll see you all next week again live, uh, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For counterparts, George Batista, John Henry Soto, thank you. Have a wonderful evening. And as always, peace.